Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org, which, by the way, shout out to Nurse.org for hosting the podcast. Thank you so much. We love their support. But guys, let me get into today's topic because it's hot. There's lots to talk about. And listen, I'm not actually even sure where to start. So let me just jump into it because I know this particular topic has several feathers ruffled because I've seen your comments. I've seen them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and it's not all positive. Nurses are pissed. And um, you can see this article on nurse.org because they actually wrote about it. It's called Nurses Can Be Sued for Following Doctor's Orders, North Carolina Court Reveals. Now you're like, what the heck? Nurses follow doctor's orders. That's what we do. Medications, treatments, therapy, discharge. That's what we do. They come in, evaluate the patient, write orders. We carry out these activities and tasks and treatments. Hopefully patient gets better. Patient gets discharged from the hospital everyone's happy. They go home. They're better, right? In the perfect world, in the perfect world, right? If everything goes as planned. However, and y'all know, like I know, some of these orders that you've seen, mm -mm, baby. And this is no knock to my physicians because I love my physicians and I love my academic tertiary centers and I love working with residents. However, we all know come July, you better watch them orders. You better watch them orders. And for those of you who are like, what's Nurse Alice talking about? July is the month in which doctors level up and go to the next level of their training. So if you're an intern, now you're uh, a resident one. You're resident one, you become resident two. Resident two, become, like you get it, right? You, you elevate every time in July. So sometimes in July, the order is a little, hoo-hoo, I don't know about all that. Like, and so nurses, we have to correct some of our, our physician colleagues as they learn, right? They're learning from us and we learn from them too. So this is no shade towards the doctors. But to get back to this, North Carolina has determined that nurses can now be sued for following doctor's orders. So I said that to say, yes, we follow doctor's orders, but let's keep it real. You know, some of those doctor's orders are nonsense and hokey pokey bullshit. You know, it is, you know that they are. And listen, I know we're talking about doctor's orders, but NP orders, listen, some of those are hokey pokey too. I'm just saying any prescriber has the potential to write in order that to us may seem a little sketchy, right? For variety of reasons. They could be novice and not know what they're doing. They could have made a mistake. They could have transcribed it incorrectly, like so many things. But point blank is when we see an order, it should make sense to us, right? It should make sense to us. It should be something that if I do this, doesn't seem like it's going to cause harm to the patient. But if there's something that seems sketchy, listen, I question orders. I question orders all the time. Okay. Potassium level is two and you want to give 
Lasix because you're trying to diurese the patient, but I don't see any supplemental potassium on board. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Do, 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 do. Let me call this provider and clarify these orders. That's what we do. We clarify orders. But now looking at this North Carolina case, nurses can be sued for following orders. Now, what I just explained to you would be what is expected to actually be standard practice. Shouldn't say, oh, a seasoned nurse would know that. No, a nurse should know that because we've done training and education on electrolytes, fluid balance. We should understand what a low potassium level could mean for a patient, right? We should know those things. So that's why this topic is a little, at first when I heard it, I was a little mad, but then I had to think back like, mm, I have seen some bullshit orders. I shouldn't be following those. So if there's a nurse that follows that type of order, ugh, how do they protect themselves? Because you're following physician's orders. I get it. That's what we're supposed to do. But when there's an order that's sketchy, when are you are you questioning the order? So anyway, so let me bring it back to what's going on. The reason why this came up, because we we know, right, when there's something new, oh, we're new, implementing this new policy or we're changing procedure or moving forward, we will no longer be doing such and such. Something happened. Something happened on a unit. Somebody did something or something happened elsewhere on a sister unit. And so now they're changing it for everybody, right? That's usually what happens. And the reason why this came about is because something happened. So bear with me. We are going to sift through the case of what happened. We're going to get a little bit of a legal lesson. It's a little bit of history in this. And then we're going to talk about some critical thinking and best practices. So don't let this topic deter you like, oh, I don't want to learn about legal things. But this is important because you want to know how protected are you when it comes to following doctor's orders. And we're going to get all those things answered in this podcast. I am not an attorney. I am not a lawyer. I've never studied law. However, I am a advanced practice nurse with over 24 years of experience primarily in critical care, emergency medicine. I have been an educator. I have been a clinical expert called upon by attorneys. So I know my stuff, y'all. I know my stuff. And the most that any of us can do, right, is to read what's happening and make sense of it. But I think it's important that we talk about it as well. And we can also seek clarification because some of us are going to read this. We're going to read it wrong, which, by the way, I think some of y'all ran with it. You saw the headlines. You're like, oh, my gosh, how can this be? This is so wrong. However, it's important that we understand the context of this things. We need to understand the context of what's happening and why this has come about. I also think that this is a time where we need to acknowledge that there are levels to nursing, right? This is not shading anyone, not saying anyone is less than this or that or la da da, but there are different scopes of practices. So let's break that down. There's a licensed practical nurse or the licensed vocational nurse, right? These are nurses who have certain who have met certain criteria in their training program who then sit for an LVN, LPN, NCLEX exam and now have demonstrated entry into vocational nurse practice. There's That's a particular scope. There are certain things that LPNs and LVNs can do and certain things that they cannot do that are beyond their scope of practice. So know your scope of practice, right? But they're very important. I used to be an LVN. I love them. Then there's the registered nurse. Now, registered nurse, we know that there are different entry points into that, right? You can be an associate's degree, you can have a bachelor's degree, and you can even be master's entry into nursing. But at the end of the day, whatever your program was, you've met certain science requirements, uh, nursing education requirements, you've met certain clinical hour practice, you've been deemed safe, competent, and you pass all your respective courses at a, at a minimum level. Now you're eligible to take the RN NCLEX. You pass the NCLEX and you are 
entry level into registered nursing. There's a particular scope of practice for registered nurses, which I know sometimes state legislature can limit if you can actually practice to your full scope. We're not going to get into that, but for the most part, there are certain things that you can do, whether those are restricted by your state or your hospital, that's another story. But I say that to say that brings us to the next level of nursing, advanced practice registered nurses, APRNs. Now you hear RNs in the titles, and but you can't just automatically clump them with uh, registered nurses or LVNs. Now I'll say this, to become an advanced practice nurse, you must first be a registered nurse. That is indeed true. However, you have gone on for more school or there are advanced classes, clinicals and activities that you must do that and then pass certain, you know, a certain amount of your tests at a certain at a minimum level. You take your you do your education, you graduate from your program, then there's a board certification, which by the way, mine is through AANP for my nurse practitioner. And then for my CNS, I did it through ANCC. So I had to take a board certification and then apply to be an advanced practice registered nurse for my state. So in the, I'm in the state of California. I am a clinical nurse specialist and I am a nurse practitioner. The scope of practice for those two roles, significantly different from a registered nurse. Now they build upon what I was doing as a registered nurse, but hey, I, I have a total different scope now. I can prescribe medications, treatments, order diagnostics tests. I can diagnose. Like I am considered a mid-level provider. And while I currently live in a state where there needs to be a supervising physician in 2023, I will be able to practice independently of a physician. So, you know, in some states, advanced practice nurses can practice independently. So that's a whole nother thing. Like they're operating solo. They don't need the doctor. Now I will say, be mindful of this, that in complex cases, it is in the best interest of the patient and the provider to seek consultation from a, a physician, uh, expertise in that, because we always want to do what's best for the patient and we don't want to do anything that is out of our scope. But I said th those things to say that there are levels to this. So when we say nurses can be sued for following doctor's orders, we get all in a frenzy because they're like, oh my gosh, all nurses. But I think what prompted this particular ruling, you'll find out is something that affects all nurses, but not as severely in the way that you think it does. Okay. So, so let me just say that, but let's back it up. What the hell happened? Okay. So let's get into what happened and what prompted this. So this happened in, in 2010, there was a case, there was a three-year-old by the name of Amaya uh, Gulate. She was taken to the emergency room. She was very tachycardic. The emergency doctor said, you know, I'm going to need a cardiologist on the case. Cardiologist says, oh my gosh, she has cardiomyopathy. We're going to need to do an ablation. And for those of you who don't know, ablation is, um, you can do this chemically or with heat, but they kind of, from, they zap a little part of the heart that is causing the, that is the irritable foci that's causing the uh, tachycardia. Um, usually it's like a re-entry problem with one of the nodes, but anyways, I'm not going to get into that part. But anyways, she needed an ablation. So she was later, a couple of days later, scheduled for the procedure. And so she had this done uh, she was admitted to Carolina Medical Center um, for the scheduled ablation. Her anesthesia team, because you got to, you know, they got to put you to sleep for this. The anesthesia team was Dr. James Boyle and a certified registered nurse anesthetist, an APRN. Remember the different scopes, right? Gus Van Sotheberg. Sorry, Gus, if I butchered that name. Anyways, I'm just going to call him Gus. They administered a gas to the patient using a mask, Sevoflurane. And then 
Shortly after the induction, little Amaya went into cardiac arrest. After 13 minutes in the case, Dr. Doyle was able to revive little Amaya with CPR and some resuscitation drugs. But in the end, Amaya suffered permanent anoxic brain injuries, cerebral palsy, and now has profound developmental delay. And so her mother and guardian sued the hospital, the doctor, and the CRNA. So um, the three-month-long trial ended in 2016 with a hung jury. I know this incident happened in 2010. Usually the patient has to go through whatever they're going to go through. And once it's reached its peak, once we are at a point of, okay, this is it, we've optimized and maximized everything, this is the final result, that is probably the time when they decided to sue. So if you're wondering, that happened in 2010, why did this case end in 2016? It's because they had to, you know, those couple years where they had to go through Amaya's care. I mean, I know that everyone hoped that she would get better, but she didn't get better. The family accepted that this is Amaya now, this is it. Then that's when they filed and then they went to court. And so the court was settled in 2016. I had to throw that in there because I know somebody was going to say something about those dates. But anyways, the three-month trial ended in 2016 with a hung jury. So Dr. Doyle, the physician, right, his practice settled with Amaya's family. They're like, Mm-mm, we're done. Let me settle with you and ex- excuse myself for any potential further things that could happen with this case. Then in May of 2018, the case against Gus, the CRNA, and the hospital was retired. So this time the jury found in favor of Gus and the hospital based on a precedent that was set in 1932 with the case of Bird versus Marion General Hospital. Let me just say something real quick about that case because you all got to know, we got to know what this case is. So in the case of Bird versus Marion General Hospital, they said that nurses are not supposed to be experts in the technique of diagnosis or the mechanics of treatment. Instead, the law contemplates that the physician is solely responsible for the diagnosis and treatment of his patient. So as a result, nurses were largely exempted from the existence of any applicable professional standard of care because nurses were deemed, according to the Bird case here, to be sheltered from exposure to liability for negligence when performing duties under the supervision of a physician and were only vulnerable to negligence claims due to their performance of their professional duties and responsibilities when substandard execution of such nursing expectations were obvious. So basically, in 1932, they basically said, well, nurses don't know no better. You know, it's the physician that knows everything. They diagnose, they do the treatment. Nurses just follow orders. So they shouldn't be held responsible because they don't know any better. That's basically in a nutshell what Bird was saying. And that was in 1932. So I don't know about you, but I'll take offense to that. However, 1932, well, you know, where was nursing practice back then, right? Okay, so now let's revisit North Carolina because this is happening in North Carolina. Let's go back and do a little history lesson. Did you know that North Carolina was the first state in the nation to regulate the registration of practicing nurses with the creation of the Board of Examiners of Trained Nurses of North Carolina? So that was their, what we call a BRN today, that was their board. They did that in 1903. Now listen, in 1903, anybody could call themselves a nurse. There was no formalized training, no formalized education. There was no NCLEX. You know, the standards were whatever they said the standards were. People learned on the job. They learned as they went. And anybody could call themselves a nurse. They could. 1903. So this decision with Bird versus Marion General Hospital came along. That's 1932. So they're operating off of 
you know, no standardized practice. Nurses are just, they're caretakers. They're just doing what the doctor says to do. They've not been trained formally. So they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be held responsible if something goes wrong because they don't know any difference. Come on, y'all. So that's what was happening in 1932. Let's get into this other part of it. So North Carolina establishes their board in 1903. The Byrd decision was 30 years later, and I just explained to you what was said, right? Now, it wasn't until 1965 some did regulations come about in, uh, in North Carolina that uh, nurses could call themselves trained nurses, graduate nurses, licensed nurses, and registered nurses. That didn't happen until 1965. And what happened in 1965 is that their board had then decided that it was going to take some action and standardize education for nurses. So it now became the Board of Nurse Examiners of North Carolina, which required that nurses be at least 21 years of age, they have good moral character, be a high school graduate, and either a graduate of a school of nursing or one who had practiced nursing in another state under similar registration requirements. So in this, this new board would then conduct periodic examinations in anatomy, physiology, dietetics, hygiene, elementary bacteriology, obstetricals, medical and surgical nursing, nursing of children, contagious diseases, ethics in nursing, and other subjects they felt necessary. So let me rewind that again. North Carolina, first state to develop a formalized body for nursing, right, in 1903. But anyone could call themselves a nurse. In 1932, that's when this case Bird versus, you know, whoever, that's when they said, oh, nurses shouldn't be held responsible. They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing. They're just following orders. But then in 1965, North Carolina says, Mm-mm, we're going to establish this board. We're going to set some criteria as to what standards nurses should be meeting. And it was in 1965, then it became more of a protected title where you can say trained nurse, graduate nurse, licensed nurse, or registered nurse. That's 1965. And, you know, with those, we can see, and even now, we know that education in nursing has come such a long way since then, guys, with the requirements of school, like anatomy, physiology, biology, chemistry, being very competitive, needing so many volunteer hours. We have BLS that you must now do. We have certain clinical hours you must do. You must pass your exams in your respective subject and must meet a certain percentage or you don't pass a class and you can only retake it one time at your school. Like these standards have been put into place to ensure, to protect the integrity of nursing schools so that we they know that they are putting out candidates, NCLEX candidates, who are indeed knowledgeable practitioners. So we've come a long way. Now, this is just for, thus far, that has been for um, registered nurses. You know, later then you know, boards would then come to, the North Carolina board as well as other boards would come to recognize advanced practice nurses. So then came another layer of expectations and criteria that nurses had to meet in order to become advanced practice registered nurses. And believe me, these are nurses who have been identified to have an expertise in a particular topic or excuse me, subject. So over the years, no longer are we the, they don't know what they're doing. They're just following doctor's orders. No, we've come a long way. We're very knowledgeable. 
And in fact, at the top of the episode, when I said, I've seen some orders and I'm like, whoa, 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 let's clarify, or I'm not doing that. Someone else can do it. I'm not doing it because we've come to learn a lot about safe practice. Now, this is the thing. I mean, we've seen this in the news, right? Nurses can be sued for following doctor's orders. If it's a negligent order, are you really going to follow it? Are you really going to follow it? Let's say the patient's blood pressure is 90 over 40. They're symptomatic. They're septic, right? We're doing things to bring their blood pressure up. Are you really going to give that hydralazine? Are you really? Because in that situation, that could be determined negligent because in today's state, nurses are expected to understand the medications we're giving, its mechanism of action. We're supposed to understand the disease process and the treatments that you're doing. Like if someone's septic and we're doing everything to keep their blood pressure up, and then I turn around and I give them hydrolyzine, which is a vasodilator to drop their blood pressure, that could be considered negligent. Okay. So I give you that example. And that seems blatantly obvious, right? So yes, nurses can be sued for blatant, obvious things that, you know, that that any standard practitioner should know. And I think that's the key that you need to understand here, guys. I'm gonna go back to this bird decision and describe something else here. It says, the issuance of the bird decision um, in 1932, nurses have, they said that nurses have not been subject to culpability for the performance of their roles in the administration of any negligent treatment of a patient and could only be held liable for the execution of their primary function within the medical community, which was to obey and diligently execute the orders of a physician or surgeon in charge of the patient. Unless, of course, the order was obviously negligent to lead any reasonable person to anticipate that substantial injury would result. So while a nurse could be held liable for how nursing duties were executed outside of the supervision of a physician, it was clear from Byrd that a nurse could not be held liable for what the nurse did to diligently execute the orders of a physician. Guys, I don't wanna say they thought we were stupid in 1932, but they thought we were stupid. And I'm not, this is no diss to any nurse who practiced in that area. You only knew what you knew and you only had the tools that you had. But listen, in 2022, this is what we're not going to do. And in 2022, I understand what is negligent and could be harmful for the patient. So in an example, so let's say your patient has pneumonia and the provider orders clindamycin for the pneumonia when, you know, you're looking for uh, Levaquin for pneumonia, like, okay, antibiotics, that is not something that's considered completely negligent unless a person is allergic to clindamycin because as the provider, they are considered the expert to understand, to know which antibiotic is best for your patient. They are the ones that are expected to, based on community standards, based on other um, uh, medication or governing body standards, based on what's circulating in your area, based on, you know, blood cultures or whatever, they should be the ones to determine which antibiotic is best. But if you as the registered nurse, although we're very knowledgeable and we should know, we have a really good idea of which antibiotics are given for certain diseases because you can look that up in a book nowadays, right? Um, But there are certain cases where maybe a certain antibiotic is better based on some new evidence. The expert is supposed to know that, the provider. But if you went ahead and give that clindamycin, you're not going to be sued for following doctor's order if later something happens and the clindamycin doesn't clear up the pneumonia and the patient develops some lung scarring and loses a lung. Da, 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 da. You gave the antibiotic, which was appropriate. It did, was not in any way negligent. 
That is very different from the example that I told you earlier, where patient's septic, blood pressure's low, we're trying to get the patient's blood pressure up with vasopressors and fluids and da 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 da. You turn around and you can give hydralazine. Okay, that is a negligent order. Okay, so I think it's very important that we understand when we say nurses can be sued for following doctor's orders, it's those type of orders, guys, those type of orders. So whenever there's an order that doesn't seem safe to you or is very questionable, then you should question the order. Now, I understand there can be some people like, how am I supposed to know I'm a new grad or I don't know, I'm new to this area. Like I totally can empathize with that concern and that safety. Listen, for the first two years, I'm gonna be honest, for the first two years as a registered nurse, I was like, oh my gosh, I just don't wanna kill anybody. That legit was my primary goal for the first two years of being a registered nurse. We have to do our due diligence and we have to you know, know our patients. Listen here, let me tell you this, because I've seen... I, I do critical care transport, so I get to see some people in some different hospitals and some different practices. And I've seen a couple nurses who downright, flat out, do not know their patient. There, you should not be giving any type of medication to any patient that you don't know. If you ain't looked at their history and physical, you ain't looked at the last progress notes, you ain't done a physical assessment, you ain't looked at the labs, baby, do not be giving any medications because you don't know that patient. You don't know the patient. You've not done your assessment to know if what you're going to be given is safe. And let me give you an example of that because you're like, what? it's their regular medications. Sometimes regular, their regular home medications or regular medications they always take are no longer appropriate. So let's say the patient has regular blood pressure medications that they take, right? They, they've had heart disease for a long time. They always take metoprolol. They always take um, lisinopril. They always take their amlodipine, da, 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 da. They have these blood pressure pills they always take. But- you've not checked the blood pressure and you just go blindly give those medications, their blood pressure could already be low and you may need to hold the medications. That's an issue. Let's say your patient is someone who is newly diagnosed with heart failure or pulmonary edema. That's what's happening. But let's say you're, there's an order for, you know, they're going MPO for a procedure. Oh, normal saline, 125 cc's an hour. You didn't know really under, know what the disease process is, what the diagnosis is, right? New onset heart failure. You didn't listen to the lungs. Baby, they're full of crackles. They're full of fluids. There, he person has plus two, three, four, five. Five don't exist, but I'm just saying it. To just put a 10 on it. Like super duper edematous on their arms, legs. Like that edema goes all the way from their feet, all up to their little belly into their scrotum, but you've not looked. And you're just like, oh, huh, huh. let me program this. Let me hang a new bag. Like negligent. You have to know your patient. So some of you guys might be a little upset by what I'm saying, but listen, I'm going to say this because I love y'all. Nurses, we love we love the glory. You know, we're first responders. We save patients' lives. We were there, front lines, taking care of patients. Where were the doctors? They go home. We're here 24-7. We love all the glory. But when it comes to the guts, we have to have guts to understand where we fall short. We're really great at some things. Some things we're not so great at. Okay. Um, in this case, I think I've seen some comments. People are like, well, where was the pharmacist and all this? Why the pharmacist didn't say anything? I'm not sure of what the pharmacist's role was in this particular case. However, the pharmacist is not the anesthesiologist and the pharmacist is not the cardiologist to know which uh, induction medication would be best in this case. There are a lot of variables when it goes into surgery. There could be some standards like, okay, the standard of care is ABC. However, this patient has some idiosyncrasies in their care. So we're not going to go with that first standard. We're going to do this instead because it's appropriate. So there's a lot that goes into this. And so this particular nurse, and they keep saying nurse, 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 this, you know, this Gus, Gus 
is a registered nurse. However, what they should be saying is certified registered nurse anesthetist. This is an APRN. This is an advanced practice nurse. This isn't just a nurse. Okay, so let me get back to the story. So what happened here is Gus was originally protected by you know the bird precedent. Family took them back to court. They argued that nursing education has vastly improved over the years. Nurses now, because of their education and training, are much more knowledgeable, are actually now partners in care, and especially as it relates to this particular person, because Gus, but let's for all intents and purposes, using titles, Gus is not in the role of a nurse. Gus is in the role of an advanced practice nurse and a certified registered nurse anesthetist. That's a whole nother scope. So don't get upset with me when I say, in this situation, Gus is in a nurse. Gus is a CRNA. That helps you understand the role and the expectations and the level of expertise that Gus was supposed to know. And, and also what was being argued is that components of the nursing practice for registered nurses in California, it says that when a nurse assumes responsibility directly or through delegation for implementing a treatment or pharmacological regimen, the nurse becomes accountable for anticipating those effects that may rapidly endanger a client's life or well-being. The Board of Registered Nursing also oversees the licensure of certain types of registered nurses for specialized roles. So again, Gus was a CRNA. The CRNA is actually able to do more activities, uh, has a, large, a different scope of practices. In fact, the CRNA uh, performs nurse anesthesia activities in collaboration with a physician, dentist, podiatrist, or other lawful qualified healthcare provider. So in addition to that, the CRNA you know, contributes his or her respective area of expertise consistent with appropriate occupational licensure laws of the state and according to established policies, procedures, practices, and channels of communication that lend support to nurse anesthesia services and that define the roles and responsibilities of a qualified nurse anesthetist within the practice setting. I know that was a lot to say. So the CRNA actually participates in decision-making and in a cooperative goal-directed efforts. So in this situation, the CRNA wasn't just following doctor's orders. In fact, the CRNA is responsible for their own independent diagnosis, thought process, care planning, decision of medications, administration of those. Like they have their own independent thought process and then they collaborate with the provider. So this CRNA wasn't just following physician's order, this person was collaborating. So they collectively came up with this decision to give the gas versus the IV automate, which according to anesthesia standards out there in the world, and I'm not a nurse anesthetist, so don't get me caught up here, but that in someone of that age with cardiomyopathy, that IV automate is a better induction medication. So the CRNA, just like the physician, decided to administer a treatment that wasn't based on the best standards or practices. And even if the physician wrote that the final order, the CRNA was a partner in that decision making. So that's why they were coming after the CRNA. And that's why the state decided that nurses could now be held liable for their mistakes. So it's a little misleading to say nurses, although this impacts everybody, unfortunately, right? What happened was this was a CRNA who was collaborating with a physician and then, and I'm just speculating here, guys. I don't know, you know, I'm not a part of this case. I'm just speculating. But it's argued that they didn't administer the best medicine based on the on the latest standards. 
and as a result, harm came to little Amaya. Remember, the physician settled out of this case earlier on. They're like, I'm out. So the physician was then now out of this case and like this family came after the hospital and the CRNA, that happened. So again, we were looking at a 1932 precedent and trying to apply it to current day when so much in education and training and expectations and standards and have changed, right? We are so much more knowledgeable. And again, nurses, we want, listen, most of us say, well, we want to practice to the full scope of our capability. You want to practice it, but then when something goes wrong, you don't want the heat. Which one is it? We have to decide which one it is that we really want. In this case, because of the bird precedent, they didn't allow the expert CRNA to testify. Later, they wrote that due to advancements of nursing profession, education, and all of those things, they determined that the bird opinion was no longer appropriate and they wanted to overrule it as it applies to the facts of this case. So there was some judicial overreach and Justice Tamara Burringer wrote for the dissenters, in judicially changing this subject, the three justice majority appears to create liability without causation. Allowing a nurse to be held liable for negligent collaboration in the treatment ultimately chosen by the physician. Such a policy choice should be made by the legislator, not merely three justices of the court. This latest decision calls for a new trial. So, sounds like there's going to be a new trial, y'all. It's interesting to see what's going to happen here. And I'll say this, it means a lot. It does. It means that no longer can we hide under the, oh, that's what the doctor ordered. And if I can just speak frankly, and I think... Part of what makes me who I am, and hopefully some of the reason why you like me is that I, I speak candidly and I speak honest and I keep it real. If I say I keep it 100. As a nurse, as someone who's practiced as an LVN, as someone who's practiced as a registered nurse and someone who practices as a clinical nurse specialist and a nurse practitioner, I got to know my stuff. I really have to know my stuff. And some of you may or may not know my story, but both of my parents died in the hospital. My dad died in the ER and my dad, my mom died in the ICU. I wasn't as knowledgeable when my dad died as when I was when my mother died. Believe me, I saw a lot of mistakes. And healthcare providers, not just doctors, but nurses need to be accountable for some of them. When it's your loved one in the bed and it's something that you know you learned in school and you're just like, well, what happened? What happened? What was the disconnect? You knew this in nursing school, but you didn't know this on the floor. I think that is some of the most disturbing news that I can get from someone. Now, I understand that no one knows everything, but you have to know where your resources are. I know we short staff. I know we short staff. I know everybody talking about this COVID vaccine restrictions. We're about to enter into another wave. There's new vaccines. We got monkeypox in the background. Like, you know, they don't appreciate us. We're not paid fairly. Like, I know there's so much noise in the background, but that doesn't exclude us from providing quality care. It can't. And what y'all, some of y'all need to do is bottleneck the system. And I've said this several times. You know, they give us more and then we do more because we just make it happen, Captain. That's what we do. We're nurses. Slow your row. Pump the brakes. If you can't do a job and do it safely, slow down so you can. Get the resources that you can. It's not until we bottleneck the system and which then impacts patient flow, hospital dollars, does it get the attention of the people in the C-suite who don't touch any patients. You got to mess with their money in order for them to listen. You do. Now, some of you are like, well, I'm going to get written up. I'm going to get fired. I'm just, you know what? Do you want to work for a place that is going to write you up because you wanted to do what's in the best interest of the patient? You might need to check yourself before you wreck yourself and wreck a patient's life. I'm just saying. 
Now, again, I know some people are like, well, Nurse Alice, it's just not that easy. I got responsibilities. I, have to. I know you do. And I've been in the same place. I promise you I have. But I lost both of my parents in the hospital. The first one, my dad, tons of errors, tons of errors. Left, right, left, right, errors, errors, errors. Pissed. And that is why I go so hard in the paint when it comes to nurses and being the best nurse in the world. That's why I, you know, I pride myself on being America's favorite nurse because I go hard in the paint for my patients. I go above and beyond. I know my shit. And what I don't know, I'm very candid and clear about it. And I ask for help. But I do that in the best interest of the patients. And I will slow down a system. I don't give two, you know, I don't. But I know not everybody has that grit that I have or has the confidence to do that because maybe you're a newer nurse. Maybe they bully you in the environment you're in. And I'm so sorry that they do that. And if they do reach out to me, we're going to blow up the spot. We're going to try to do our best to fix it. People, we don't talk about it or make noise about it. We don't impact the bottom dollar. Nothing's going to change. But with my mother, there are a few things that went wrong on the tele unit. I'm going to give you the cliff notes of what happened to my mom. Okay, so mommy got sick at the peak of pandemic. We didn't know about COVID or things like that. What was really happening? They thought it was the flu, but then she tested negative for the flu. So we didn't know what it was. I kind of think she had COVID and we just didn't know. We didn't have testing for COVID at the time, but she got sick. And we know that when someone gets sick and they have pre-existing conditions, it exacerbates those conditions. Long story short, mommy got sick. She had cirrhosis from Avandia, right? Um, liver problems from her Avandia that she took a long time ago. She had since stopped it, but it had caused her to have cirrhosis. She had high blood pressure, diabetes, stuff like that. Long story short, she went to the hospital. Biggest concern was GI bleed, you know, liver problems, GI bleed. Mommy was getting ready to discharge from the hospital. And li I lived like five minutes away. And so my aunt was there, she was getting ready. And then she threw up. As soon as she threw up and I could see that there was blood, got in the car, was on my way. I was in my pajamas, footies and everything. I looked a hot mess. I had, still had crust in my eyes. Got to the hospital. I knew GI bleed. She wasn't ready to go home. And the GI doctor still um, hadn't seen her yet. We were waiting for that for her to discharge home. And the nurse was like, oh, you know, she should be fine. You know, she's a little bit. She had to go to the bathroom, blood in the stool. And then my mom started getting weak. Legit, the nurses on the telemetry unit was like, well, we're going to wait for the provider. Pushed her out the way. And then I activated a rapid response. I don't even work there. But I, you know, I'd been there for a while. They knew how I was. Um, they knew I was a nurse. I activated the rapid response team and I was making up noise, making a lot of noise. And the charge nurse on the tele unit actually got upset with me. But then the charge nurse, the rapid response nurse, who was the charge nurse from ICU, knew who I was, knew that I knew my shit and was like, let's go. Alice said, let's go, let's go. And then literally right before me, mommy started to deteriorate. And even the tele nurses on the unit were like, well, stop, hold on, let's do CPR here. I said, and I, long story short, because I had been met with so much delay, resistance to care, they gave her her baby aspirin that morning. I was so fucking mad. You know, if I play, like, she's bleeding. Why the fuck would you give aspirin? Anyways, errors like that. They tried to stop us. The ICU nurse and I started pushing the patient, pushing my mom towards ICU. The tele nurses were like, no, stop here. Um, I said, if we don't move, she's going to code. Oh, no, we should do it here. I'm literally sorry I had to do this. I pushed that nurse out of my way. I said, you can't do shit for her here. We got to go to the unit. And I grabbed the Zoll monitor. I grabbed the Ambu bag, put it on the foot of my mom's bed. And I said, let's go. And then so the nurses finally saw they're like, oh, she's taking charge. We're going to do what she's going to say. So we're pushing. We're pushing towards ICU. Mommy starts to go into respiratory distress. I start begging my mom. I start begging my mom. When, and then the nurse took it from me like, no, you're not supposed to do that. Bitch, if you don't back the fuck up and let me bag my mother, if you don't back up, 
medical negligence, medical malpractice, go. I understand. Now, some of you are saying, well, you weren't a provider. At, you're, you're not a provider on, on your mother's case. That's not the point. The point is, even if I was, why are nurses not using their best judgment when it comes to taking care of the patients? So I, this doesn't apply to everyone. There's, I know there's some great, smart, intelligent, caring nurses out there. And I love y'all. Thank you for what you do. Keep working hard. But there are some of y'all, I don't know how y'all got through the cracks. I don't. And we all know someone who's like that. And if you don't, it's probably you. I'm sorry to say. When we got in the ICU, those nurses were on it. They were on it, on it, on it, on it. I think they were on it because they were just on it. I'd hate to say that they knew that my mother had an advocate who was going to be up in their butts if they weren't. But my point is, we can't do things that harm patients and expect to be not held liable or responsible. And that even goes for when we override medication systems, when we deviate from the process, when we follow orders that, again, could be that are completely obvious to the to the standard nurse. So we have to understand that this is where we're at and we should be held responsible. We are licensed to kill someone if we're not. Now, let me let me give you something to relax about, though. If you're worried about you're going to get you know punished for following orders that seem reasonable. Again, this, what has been determined thus far or what has been said thus far, again, they're going to do a retrial. There's some other things that are happening. I don't live in the state of North Carolina to know every single last detail, but if you do what's in the best interest of the patient, if you do your assessments, you know, your labs, you know, your patient, you know, the medications you're giving, you know, the side effects, when you are operating in those things and doing them well, not being hasty, not cutting corners, you have good intentions. And for the most part, you should be just fine. It's for the practitioners. Who don't do those things so don't be in such a haste that you skip a step because doing something and being sorry about it later is not going to excuse you from being held accountable okay so i wanted to go over this topic golly i went on a whole nother tangent i'm all snotty nose because i'm sharing a story i cursed in here i'm so sorry that is really when i get really passionate stuff like that happens but i don't normally curse in my everyday life uh anyways that's this case <laughs> So what does it mean for nurses? You know, there's a great article on nurse.org um, that goes into more details about what this really means for nurses. How can nurses protect themselves? I'm, my bottom line, I'm going to say how to protect yourselves. Review your nursing practice act of your state. Um, stay current on your specific state board of nursing and all the practice changes that are happening. Uh, regularly participate in continuing education uh, opportunities, which by the way, I hope you caught cardiac mimics with us. We did a a class with nurse.org was online. Stay tuned for more classes. Um, the CEs are provided by Nurse Approved, which is my company. Maintain specific competencies by retraining and recertifying as needed. Join your professional nursing organizations and take courses on nursing malpractice and legal liabilities to get informed. Oh, I think that'd be another great podcast and a great uh, live event that maybe nurse.org and I'll put together for you guys. Um, but that's it. That's it. If I talk too much, I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> I'm Nurse Alice, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for Nurse.org for um, you know hosting this podcast. I really, I really appreciate them. Let me say that I really appreciate them for all of the work and the support and love that they show nurses. They do so much. Um, show them some love by visiting Nurse.org. Check out this particular article as well as the other articles and join the Nurse Network if you haven't. It's a wonderful community. We have conversations on there that we don't have necessarily on Instagram because it's just nurses. So join there and let me know what you think of the podcast. Um, rate it, review it, and e you know email me at nursealice at nurse.org. Let me know what you think. 
Was I right? Was I wrong? Did I go too hard on nurses? Did I not go hard enough on nurses? You know, what are some things that you do in your personal practice and help protect you? Love to hear those things. We love sharing those things. And that's it, guys. I'm Nurse Alice. Thanks so much for listening. Um, Till next time, make good choices, be kind to one another, and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.